We are in Exodus uh, chapter 3. We're going to hit chapters 3 and chapters 4 today in our ongoing journey through the book of Exodus. If you've not been with us, um, or it's your first time, we just go through books of the Bible at Safe Haven. Um, it's safer that way and it's best that way because it's God's Word and uh, frankly we can't come up with anything better than He has already penned. And so we're just going to dive through the text, let it speak to us. Um, retracking all year, we've been just tracking the nation of Israel through Genesis and the nation of Israel has had various leaders. We've walked through its leadership with Abraham, its leadership with Isaac, its leadership with Jacob, its leadership with Joseph, and we've learned that God uses all things, even suffering, um, not only for our good, but also for His glory. We've learned that we can trust Him, all, the, all those things we've studied we've looked at. So, at night, you can lay your head down on your pillow as a believer, and like you can really rest. You can rest knowing uh, that the Lord sustains while you sleep. That's the peace that we've enjoyed uh, as we've gone through this text. In the day, you can walk gladly. As a believer, you can walk with a giddy smile because you have a reason to smile. And it's all because of Christ, and He guides us through the day. We've learned that all through Genesis and Exodus. And in the morning, like this morning, you can rise with hope. You can rise with hope that the Lord ultimately has purpose for you today because He let you rise. Like, He didn't have to let you rise this morning. I mean, pinch yourself. If you feel what you're feeling, it's because He let you feel this morning. He has purpose for you today. And so all of this brings us to a morning that Moses could never have expected. A hope he could have never expected, a day he could have never expected. He did not go to sleep waking up the next morning expecting to encounter what he was going to expect on what we're going to, uh, what what he was going to meet on what we're going to chew through today. So here we are, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, learning still more um, about this Lord that's in all and purposeful through all things. So, Moses is now the leader of the nation of Israel. And all God's people said, woohoo! He's the leader, he's a frail leader, but he's a leader nonetheless, and Moses is keeping the flock um, of his father-in-law. So let's jump into the text. Exodus chapter 3, um, Lord, speak through your text. Um, we'll give you all the praise for it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and he behold, and the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'm going to turn again to side to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, Do not come near me. You need to take off your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Today we're going to see this passage that is famously called the Great I Am Passage. We're going to come face to face with the great I am. And in this first little section here, Moses comes to face to face with the burning bush. We've all heard the burning bush, the story. Some of you are giggling because you're thinking back to Christmas. 
and a little video that we had about the burning bush. But nonetheless, Moses comes face to face with this miraculous bush. And it teaches him a lot. The burning bush teaches him a lot about God, and it should teach us a lot about God. I'm going to have three things that just pop on the screen that I think maybe we could learn about this encounter, about who God is in the burning bush. The first thing that this taught Moses was a lot about God himself. Think about the bush. The bush, powerful, glorious, something that could not be explained, yet was never consumed. The pizza we eat sometimes, you were like, oh, this is the best pizza. But then all of a sudden it, it wanes and it goes away. Or we have a grand moment. Um, maybe you aced the test and you didn't expect to ace it, but then you got to take the next test, right? There's always a consummation, but not with the Lord. And this is, Moses is learning this right off the bat with this burning bush. There's a God who exists, who's all glorious and powerful, but yet never consumed. Moses learns this, and if you're going to take on an impossible task in life, like Moses is about to undertake in leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, if you're going to take on an impossible task, it behooves you to know this God who keeps you filled with joy, yet is never consumed. So he he learns about this. And so this truth is what's going to keep him filled through the journey. God's teaching him through this bush number two. It also is going to teach him a lot about the nation of Israel. Just looking at the bush, he's not going to know this right, on, right off the bat, but we certainly know, looking back in retrospect, the bush on fire, burning, yet never consumed. How many times has the nation of Israel been on the verge of extinction? Just think back through history. Tons of times. Not only through biblical times, how many times they were on the verge of extinction, but even in modern day, all the pressure that they're still facing. We think back to Hitler and all that went on. The nation of Israel has constantly been on the verge of extinction, yet the Lord says, these are my chosen people, which teaches us something about a God who loves His covenant children. On fire, pressed, but never pressed out. Hurting, but never hurt to the point of extinction. This is His covenant love that we see here. And it's going to teach Him a lot about the nation of Israel. But then number three, it's going to teach Him a lot about Himself. The burning bush is going to teach Him something about Himself in these terms. If you look at the burning bush, it was certainly a reason to be afraid, right? I mean, raise your hand if you've ever seen a bush on fire, yet never consumed. That would be a freaky moment, I think we can all say, right? You might think to yourself, hey, this bush is burning. I wonder if somebody put acid in my Kool-Aid. You know, am I tripping? And did I, the mushrooms that were on my pizza, were those those magic mushrooms, right? We might begin to wonder, what on earth is going on? How is this taking place? Well, in this moment, Moses is afraid, but yet never consumed. And that theme of never consumed is something that just goes on with this bush over and over. In other words, real life begins... When we are all struck to the point of death to self, and Moses certainly came to this moment. He sees this, and there's nothing he can do. All he can do is fall down and die to himself. In this moment, the Lord even confirms this. The best posture before me is you you need to bow. And this is this holy ground. Every time I read this passage, I think back to the 80s of the song, We are standing on... Holy ground, right? And I know that there are angels. Okay, all that, right? All the things. But there's something so much more in this text. 
In this text, here's what the Lord is saying. As Moses sees it, he's awestruck. And he's caught off guard. Whoa! That is something spectacular to see. And then the Lord takes it a step further and he says, Hey, boy, son, take your shoes off because your shoes are dirtying up my majestic creation. Your shoes that you think are keeping you clean are actually dirtying up what I've made in perfection. Take them off. You're standing on holy ground, son. And in this moment, he's learning something about himself. And what's on the screen, I think, is so true. We are never more clothed rightly before the Lord when we strip our souls and lives down barren before Him. When we come to Him and just say, here's me, all of me, bare, raw, not put the face on. Some of you walked in this morning with the face, the Sunday face. Everything's great, everything's glorious, everything's whatever, right? When you just got a fight with your husband or your spouse or your kids or just, you just flipped that person off on Lake Larry Road. We saw you, we had it on film. We filmed you flipping that person off, okay? And we walk in and the Lord goes, I don't want that. You'll know me when you just come raw before me. He's learning a lot about himself in this moment. Verse 7, let's keep going. And then the Lord said, after he comes face to face with this miraculous bush, he's going to come face to face with a personal calling. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters. I, I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. And I've also seen the oppressions with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of God, out of Egypt face to face with a personal calling now. And there's a lot to learn in this little section. I want you to watch once again this challenging little section that moves from the progression of comfort to calling. Okay, Just kind of watch this. And I think you'll see this maybe, if you will, play out in your life. How God moves us from comfort... To calling. Look at these things. They'll pop up on the screen as we recap what the Lord said. The Lord said, Lord, I want, to, I want to teach you something, Moses. Number one, I've surely seen the affliction. Number two, I've heard their cry. Number three, I know their suffering. Number four, I've come down to deliver. You can trust me. That's a recap of the past two weeks. You can trust me. I'm going to bring them to the land of milk and honey. This is our comfort as believers. As believers, the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. That's just true. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's a comfort in what the Lord's saying here. There's a comfort in the where. Have you ever wondered, Lord, where on earth are you? Have you ever wondered that? Moses certainly wondered that. As a matter of fact, he leaves the palace to go check on his people, see their burdens. And he's going, Lord, where are you? The Lord's always watching his saints. Philippians 1, 6 is a promise for us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Believer, let go of the question, where are you? The comfort of the Lord is he's always there. 
He always sees the afflictions. He always knows. And you say, Troy, okay, maybe my question in comfort is not, Lord, where are you? Maybe my question is, Lord, when are you going to show up? Like, I know where, you're always there, but like, when are you going to be real? Maybe your question is the when. When will you act? Well, the promise in this text is just like the Lord has a definitive presence, He also has a definite, definitive timing in all things. I love the old saying that is so true. The Lord is always on time, but He is rarely early. It's just... But he's always right. His timing is always right. Romans 5, 6 is a reminder of this that says this, While we were weak, in due time, that phrase, in the right time, in the perfect time, in the due time, the Lord shows up and Christ dies for the ungodly. And so the Lord is always comforting us. He's he's always present in the where. The when is not up to us. We just need to trust in his perfect timing. And then he moves to the challenge. Get beyond the comfort into the challenge. And I think this is very um, impactful if you'll just kind of let it sit in your soul for just a little bit. I've seen the personal affliction. I've heard the cry. I know the suffering. I've come down to deliver and to bring um, you to the land of milk and honey. The where is always around. The when is when I want to. And now the who. Have you ever wondered, well, okay, here's where I'm at. Here's what I need. Here's what I see. But who's going to pull it off? I'm praying these prayers, but who? And the Lord always uses humans to accomplish His mission. Now, as I look at this, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 5, verses 6. Isaiah encountered the same Lord who showed up in glorious splendor. And in that moment, the holy ground is kind of the same thing. As a matter of fact, Isaiah wasn't commanded to take off his shoes. Isaiah just kind of fell prostrate before the Lord when he saw the the Lord of hosts. And the Lord came and touched his mouth with a piece of coal. Burn his tongue. And then all Isaiah could do is go, Woe is me, I'm a man undone. And then the Lord goes, Who will go for us? And then Isaiah screams out, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Now Moses is not going to fall on this same moment, but the Lord is going to give this calling to Moses. He takes him from comfort. I'm always there. I'm always at the right time. And I'm going to use you to do it. Look at this. I will send you to pull it off. You see, Moses was pumped about deliverance, but Moses wasn't too keen on being the one who was the deliverer. And maybe a lot of times we want deliverance. We want deliverance from what's going on in our life. And and we want deliverance for that other person that's our friend. Or we want deliverance for the family member. And we're going, Lord, not necessarily where are you or when is it going to happen. But we're going, Lord, use somebody to do this. And the Lord's going, I want to use you. Are you the one that's willing to be used in that situation in life? Our prayers, a lot of times, are shallow. And our prayers are a lot of times flippant. And the identifying mark from when our prayers are shallow and flippant is when we're willing to pray, but we're not willing to act. That's a flippant prayer. That's an exhausting prayer before the Lord. When we come to Him and go, Lord, I need You, I need You, I need You, do Your magic thing. 
do your miraculous thing, do your wondrous thing, but hey, use anybody but me. I don't want to be used. And in this moment, we can learn a lot about prayer. True faith is not praying and hoping. True faith is not praying and wishing. True faith is not praying and sitting. True faith is praying and then acting. I think we can see this in this passage. It's not always true, but if you don't hear anything I'm saying, hear this. There's a good chance that you are the answer to your own prayer. The question is, are you willing to take the call and the mission that the Lord's giving you? So with this said, God does answer. He always answers. The problem is, is often we don't like how He answers. We can learn a lot about this from the Lord addiction. Addiction is one of those things I think is a great example. You've got this addiction in your life, whether it's porn or alcohol or, or spending or gluttony or whatever it is. You've got this addiction that just floods your life, okay? And you're sitting there and you're crying out to the Lord, Lord, take it away. I don't want it. I know this is an offense before you. I, I feel this, blah, blah, blah. And the Lord goes, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to deny yourself, and then I want you to stick to denying yourself of that thing. And then we go, but Lord, it would be easier if you would just remove the craving altogether, if you would just take it away, and the Lord goes, I will, and here's the way I'm going to do that, is you have discipline to deny yourself and to wage war against the sin that you're calling out to me for. Addiction is a great example of that. Money is a great example of that. Lord struggling. The bank account is at zero. I don't know what I'm going to do. I need you to let me win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. <laughs> I don't know. Do they still do that? Does Ed McMahon... Um, uh, does anybody still knock on doors? I don't know if Ed McMahon is still alive. We'll have to research that. Okay, he's not. <laughs> Rest in peace, Ed McMahon. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. All that to say, lottery, maybe that's... Lord, let me win the one point whatever billion dollar lottery. I need money. And then the Lord goes, well, here's the deal. I'm going to answer your prayer. Here's how I want you to do it. Get out and work. We go, whoa, I don't... It would be easier, Lord, if you would just give me that utopia job. And the Lord goes, I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. Why are you sitting idly still? Work. Get out and do something. Salvation. Oh, man. I'm praying for salvation for this person. Lord, this person needs you. I, I, I'm praying for them. I hurt for them. I, I pray that they know you. I want them to know you. Your kids. You're praying for your kids, Lord. Put somebody in their path. Lord, da-da-da-da-da-da. And the Lord goes, listen. Why don't you speak the gospel to them? Lord, send them a missionary. I'm trying to. You just won't listen. Lord, I don't want it to be me. Open your mouth. Right? Marriage, singleness, anxiety, weight loss, all the same. It is irreverent to bottle the Lord up as a magic genie who is just supposed to sit there and do your bidding. We pray, but we act. We move. That's the marker of God's people. So yes, we pray for deliverance. And double yes, we take hold of all the means that the Lord has provided for you to be delivered from what you're praying from. 
I think we can learn that from this text. Well, all that to say, let's see how Moses learns from this news that he is the answer to his own prayer. There's going to be a lot read here, but I just don't think we can skip it, so let's read through it. Um, we kind of shrunk the text a little bit. If you can't see it, that's a good reason for you to bring your Bible to church, okay? Um, but nonetheless, it's going to be on the text. Let's see how Moses fares with this news that he is the one called to do this. So, Moses has come face-to-face with this miraculous bush. He's now come face-to-face with a personal calling. And then Moses says to God, Well, who am I? <laughs> is anybody bold enough to say that you have admit that you've done this? Well, who am I, Lord? Right? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. (laughs) What an answer. We're going to unpack that a lot here in a second. But I just get the feeling, it's like when my kids come up to me and they make great arguments as to why they should not be doing what I've told them to do. And then I just finally use the trump card. You've used it. You do it because I said so. And then shake my head like that. Because I said so. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, all the Idzites, to the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, Egyptian neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, well, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, just like any sane human being would do. That was in the margins there. I don't know if it's in your Bible, but it's in mine. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak, and he took it out. And behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. 
So he put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground. And the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Isn't it funny? The man is complaining about not being able to speak, but he's perfectly eloquent and capable of arguing with God. I, I, can't, I can't speak. I can't speak. And the Lord's going, well, you're running your mouth quite a bit right now. Right? Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore Go. And I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And now I can't talk, right? But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And now finally, face to face with God and doubt simultaneously. Simultaneously. Look at these three responses. I just want to recap these three responses. First response Moses had was this. Who am I? Who am I? It's a human response. And there's a human answer. The human response, and typically when the Lord's trying to do something, who am I? Who am I to do this? And the human response could be something along these lines. Well... Moses, you're the one Israelite, the one Israelite in the entire universe that has been trained by Pharaoh as a warrior. You're the one. The only one who's been taught all the languages, the only one who's been taught medicine, the only one who's been taught law, the only one that's been fed all the king's food. You're the only one. Who are you? Well, you're that one. That could be the human response, right? But God's response was none of that. When Moses goes, who am I? The Lord didn't sit there and go, well, you're this guy, you're this guy. Kind of that pep talk sermon, right? Y'all been in the pep talk sermons. Here's seven ways you're a good person. Here's eight ways you can do it better. Here's nine ways that you can slay the devil. Here's na-da-da-da. The Lord didn't do any of that. What the Lord says is this, Moses, it don't matter who you are. I'll be with you. Who am I? Don't matter. I'll be with you. What a fantastic answer. Because who we are just gets in the way, don't it? When the Lord's calling us to do something, our first instinct is to go, who am I? How am I capable? How can I do this? How can I not do this? We just get in the way of ourselves. Because it's not about us at all. And I think we do that because we're understandable. We want to go, okay, the Lord wants me to use me. Here's what I understand about myself. And the Lord never wants to use you in the way that you're understandable. He wants to use, the way, use you in the way that you're weak so that when it's accomplished, He gets all the glory. He wants to use your weakness in your situations 
because we are weak. Who we are means nothing. What's important is whether God's with us or not. That's the key. So that was the first question as he comes face to face with God in this doubt. Who am I? But then he responds after that with, well, great, who are you? Who are you, God? No, no, okay, I understand what you're saying about me, but who are you, God? This is so good. I may have a holy hizzy fit right up in this joint. Who are you? And God goes, I am who I am. And then he follows that with more. You tell them, I am has sent you. And then I don't know if you caught it or not. And Moses, if you don't get that and they don't get that, you tell them first time that the word Yahweh is used in the Bible. You tell them that the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, that's who I am. This is good. Yahweh. We don't even know what this word is. We say the word Yahweh because that's our best guess. We don't even know what it is. Anytime your Bible has the word Lord in all capital letters, that is the word Yahweh being used, okay? What that means, translated into English, is we don't have a clue what this name is. All right? That's true. That is truth. We throw it out as Adonai, but we don't know what the word is because the Lord is. It's the, it's the tetragrammaton. We'll get to that in just a second. But anyway, catch this. What he's saying is, here's who sent you, the Lord God. Not the God of the sea, not the God of the clouds, not the God of the wind, not the God of the, uh, the asparaguses, asparagi. I don't know how you say asparagus, plural. Not the God of this. The Lord God. The God who is the Lord of all gods. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. What he's saying is this. Here's what you tell them. You tell them the one who cannot be boxed in sent you. The one who has every right to box you in just as he chooses. The one who will never be stuck in a row among other gods. The one who's supreme. The one who's sovereign. The Lord over all all gods, the Lord of creation and life, the Lord who will be remembered in all generations, the Lord who sees, the one who knows, the one who keeps his covenant, the one who will make the people believe, the one who will put you right back in the front of Pharaoh that you just left, the one who knows Pharaoh will not let you go. Stay tuned next week. The one who's about to perform a power flex that's unpaired in all of wonders that have ever been seen in the world, and the one who's going to send you out loaded with Egyptian plunder. That's the one. That's what you tell them. The I am that I am sent you. And this church is stunning. It's why the Jews refuse to even attempt to pronounce this name. For fear that they would take the Lord's name in vain. So, we have a Y, an H, and a W, and an H. And the best we can come up with is Yahweh. Literally, that's what it sounds like. If you say it in Hebrew, that's what the Lord's name sounds like. Some of you guys know this, but let's just do a recap real fast. We toss around the word God a lot. God this, God that, God this, God that. That's not God's name. It's the type being that He is. When you run across in the Hebrew, the word Elohim, it's just God. Okay, You are human, but you are also Camden. Right? You are human, but you're Julie Beth. You are human. God is not God. His name is Yahweh. Right? 
And the Jews are freaked out by saying this. They're terrified that they'll get it wrong. And if they get it wrong, the Lord will smite them. That's the one. That's the one. Who sent me? Who are you? And Moses goes, that blows my mind. And God goes, that's the point. That's the point. I'm the one who blows minds. And more powerful than the specifics that he used in all those different ways is the wording that God used in and of itself. I am screams of a couple of things. It screams of incomprehensibility. The one who is. I mean, that sounds like a good stage name. The one who is. Um, When I first time I flew on a plane, I remember we were flying to Orlando as a family, and as we're flying to Orlando, I saw the clouds for the first time. We're right beside, and and it's mesmerizing. If you've ever seen it, if you've never seen it, you need to get a seven thousand dollar airplane ticket just to go look at the clouds. (laughs) And um, we're flying around, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, "Hey, Dad!" I was like, "Whoo." I would love to get a bucket of those clouds and just scoop it up. And my dad goes, well, you can't do that. And I was like, well, sure I can. I mean, look, they're right here. Surely we can roll down the window just like in the car and just get a big scoop of it. Nobody will ever know. And he said, well, you, you can't scoop up clouds, son. And I'm like, Daddy, I want to. And at that point, he's going, oh, my child is, he is not going to pass anything in school. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord better call him in ministry because other than that, he is toast, okay? Definitely not a meteorologist. And he's like, well, buddy, you can't scoop up. And he tried to explain to me um, the best he could. Okay, this is water vapor. This is crystals. This is, you know, what? And you can't scoop it up. The moment you scoop it up and bring it in, it's just going to be nothingness. And I just could not wrap my brain around that. And for the rest of the trip, I'll never forget this. I kept thinking about these clouds. I'm just going to be honest with you. I still kind of think about it. <laughs> like I still want to scoop up the clouds with a bucket. And I think about it, and it's just mesmerizing. It's mind-blowing. And the Lord goes, that's who I am. When you think about me, the moment that you can put me in a box is the moment you've got me all wrong. I'm stunning. I'm bigger than anything in your life. And I'm bigger than life itself. I am screams of this. I am screams of eternality. Did you catch that? How many times he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He just limited those. He could have said this, I'm the God of Abraham, Zechariah, John the Baptist, Paul, Peter. I'm the God of all of them simultaneously, and I'm the God of you. I'm the God of you. That's who I am. Eternality. I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. I have eternal present, and I own it all. That's who I am. I am that God. You'll never... Fully know me, but I'll let you truly know me. And it screams finally of self-existence. All of life owes their life to me, and I owe my existence to no one. That's who I am. I see all, I know all, I rule over all. And therefore, when you make excuses, you're not speaking of your incapabilities. You're speaking of the fact that you don't believe I am who I am. Your excuses do nothing but belittle the God who created you with his very fingertips. I can't. And God goes, I put every cell in your body the way that I wanted to do it. You can, because I am. This is what this screams of.
Right? So let's wrap it up. Who am I? Who are you? I am who I am. And then Moses surely at this point goes, yes, I'm on board, but he doesn't. He goes, okay, who am I? Who are you? But who am I? (laughs) He just falls right back to himself. Who am I? And the human response would be, Moses, he just told you that they are going to believe you. He just told you. that He just said they're going to believe you because he's going to do this. And then Moses goes, but they won't believe me. And God's response, okay, Moses. All right. I may be reading into this a little bit, and I don't mean this irreverently. Okay, dummy. It's kind of what I feel like the Lord's doing. Listen to me. What you got in your hand? Well, I got a stick. I certainly ain't leading the people of Israel out of Egypt with this stick, right? And God goes, give me your stick. I'm going to take what you think is common, and I'm going to make it more powerful than you could have ever imagined. And we go, but I don't have. And the Lord goes, won't you look around and hold up what you think is common? Whether it's your intellectual prowess or just your personality or your ability, whatever it is. Whatever you think is common. And the Lord goes, I'll use that powerfully. And not only that, but, but Lord, Moses, let me see your hand. Moses holds out his hand and he goes, oh, this is a sinful hand, Lord. And the Lord goes, it is. That's a sinful hand. I'm going to make it more yucky. Stick it in your cloak. And all of a sudden he pulls it out in his leprous. And the Lord lets him see just a little bit about how disgusting his hands really are. And in that moment, he sees his sin for what it is. But then the Savior says, now here's how more powerful than your sin I am. Puts it back in, pulls it out. And the Lord goes, Moses, I can take your sin and use it for my glory. That's a sovereign Lord. That's our hope. But not only that, hey Moses, take that water. See that water right there? You think that water sustains you? Pick it up, throw it on the ground. Boom, it turns into blood. What really pulses life. Moses, you think water sustains you. I'll take water and show you where life really comes from. Where the blood that pulses through your veins. Moses, your stuttering mouth that you claim to have. I'll take your stuttering mouth and I'll make it my own breath, the theopneustos of God. I'll speak for you. Moses, I have given you all your gifts. Are you willing to give them back to me? And church, that is summed up in a fun little song that says this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And we go, no, I'm going to hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? You want to sing it. All the gifts and talents we have, we want to hide them. We want to tuck them away. Lord, that's not usable. I want to, or maybe I want to keep it myself. The Lord goes, let it go. That was another song, let it go. It's like Sunday. It's like singing Sunday. Let it go, right? He says, if you'll just step out and let me use your gifts, I'll fly them in a way you could have never dreamed or imagined. That's who I am. So how did Moses respond? Surely at this point he gets it. Okay, okay, okay. Now he's stuttering. Okay, 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 okay. 
So what I'm hearing, Lord, is you could just send somebody else. <laughs> like, no, Moses! Which is a good place to land the textual airplane today. When God says he's the great I am, is all you ever respond with is, but I'm not. Is that your response? It's not about you. This text is screaming this to us. Moses didn't have any problems. He didn't have a weaponry problem. He didn't have a water problem. He didn't have a speaking problem. You know what Moses had? An obedience problem. That's what he had. He wasn't willing to listen to the voice of God. Well, I'm not wise enough to understand what's going on in creation. God says, I am. I'm not powerful enough to overcome this obstacle in my life. God goes, I am. Well, I can't articulate the gospel clear enough. I can't tell you how many people I've heard that over the 25 years of ministry I've been in. But I'm not capable of sharing the gospel. God goes, I am right through your pie hole. I'm not strong enough to persevere in my marriage or my singleness. God says, I am. I'm not capable enough to live a godly life at school among my peers. God says, I am. I'm not patient enough to parent. Amen. I'm not patient enough to work or wrestle with my own demons. God goes, I am. I'm not good enough to tackle my own sin issues. And God goes, I am. And here's the biggest scandal of all scandals. The only way that we ever approach holiness is to become holy ourselves. We've got a big problem. We're not holy. And in John 8, Jesus tackles this. People came up to Jesus and said, Who are you? Kind of sounds familiar. He said, I'm not going to answer that question. Here's what I'm going to tell you, that you don't understand God, and you don't understand His Word. And the reason is because you're not of God. It's not vice versa. That's a whole other theology lesson for another day. He says, here's the deal. You're trusting in your works. You're trusting in your religious acts. You're trusting in Abraham for your holiness. And they look at him and they go, who are you? Who are you? Are you greater than Moses? Are you greater than Abraham, our father? And then Jesus picks up on everything we've just studied and says this. Here's the answer to all your questions. Before Abraham was, I am. And he dropped the microphone and he stepped back. And what did the Jews do? picked up rocks and they said kill him he just claimed that he could provide holiness that we need kill him so if anybody ever says Jesus never claimed to be God just take him to John chapter 8 and says and say uh, he, he, he you go right here Jesus declares for the rest of his ministry that phrase I am I am the bread of life I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. And those who place their faith in the substitutionary atoning work of the great I am is granted joy, sure, life, sure, peace, sure. Patience, I'm thinking of all the things in Galatians now. But yes, all those things meaning purpose. But those who place their faith in Christ are granted holiness. Holiness. 
Let that sink in, church. Because He is, you don't have to be. And you get to be at the same time. So as the band comes back up, throughout the Bible, Jesus tells us in crystal clear terms how much of the I am He is. The great I am. He says, I'm the Word, I'm the Lord, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Creator, I'm the Sustainer, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm the Lamb of God, I am Emmanuel, I'm the Begotten Son, I'm the Holy One, I'm the Prince of Peace, I'm the Bridegroom, I'm the King of Kings, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the One worthy of the praise, I am Jesus. And you know where we fit in? We don't. It's all about Jesus. So the question today is, will you bow before the great I am? In what ails you? In what you're questioning? In what you think your purpose is? Will you bow before the great I am and let him teach you how to rightly strut? I mean that. When people walk around and go, why are you so dadgum content? (laughs) Why are you so at peace? Like everything around us is stressful. Why do you walk around with that city, silly, city, silly, giddy smile? Why do you walk around with that on your face? And we just go, because not I, but Christ, the great I am. Would you stand? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus maybe the most fearful yet awe-inspiring thing about this whole text is that you the great I am who was in a burning bush yet never consumed who commanded Moses to take off his dirty shoes who said you would lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt who did so through Moses who overcame his speech his hands, his sticks and his excuses maybe the most wondrous thing is that you're here right now. That you, the great I am, are in this room. Do you feel in church? He's sitting and standing in you, around you, asking you to take off that you keep trying to accomplish on your own. So Lord, we don't take lightly that we're in the midst of holy ground, not because this is a church building, 
but because you encapsulate and feel every molecule of the universe.